Welcome to Financially Ever After, where award-winning and nationally recognized financial expert Stacy Francis will bring you savvy tips and words of wisdom on how to secure your financial future before, during, and after divorce. For 30 minutes every other week, you'll hear personal stories from women who have either faced or are currently facing this transition. In addition, you'll also soak up knowledge and inspiration from the industry's top legal, financial, residential, and mental health professionals. And now here's our host, Stacy Francis. Thank you, Steve. Excited to be here today. And thank you for everyone tuning in to Financially Ever After. We have a really wonderful guest here with a very interesting story to tell. In fact, a story that has never been told by Financially Ever After. And I will tell you, probably not something that you've probably heard either. So please welcome my guest, Laura Kishovska. And she is here today, uh, has a huge, wonderful background in the business field, her own business owner, someone that I really highly respect. We've known each other for years. Uh, She founded a graphic design firm. It's called Optimum Design and Consulting back in 1992. And she also started a marketing firm for high tech called Xand and Marketing in 2005. She's an active member of the national chapter of the Graphic Artists Guild, and she's been doing that since 1992. She's also the national president. She's the member of an important organization, an organization I or actually joined when I first started my business 15 years ago called Nowbo. And for you women that are thinking about starting a business who are business owners already, you really should check out the National Association of Women Business Owners. Um, she's currently on the board as a non-voting member, and she even won, it's a very special award, not many people get this. She won the Spirit of Nabo Award uh, just a little bit ago in 2016 for her efforts efforts for reinvigorating the chapter. Lara is very happily married for the second time and will be celebrating her uh, and actually was recently celebrating her fifth anniversary with this absolutely amazing man. And I'm so excited to hear from you. I'd love to hear a little bit more about about your personal story because you have a very different path than of, of finding love again, of going through divorce than I've ever heard from anyone else. Thank you, Stacy. I actually do really enjoy sharing this story because I find the same thing. Most people aren't even aware that you can go about divorce in this manner. But I actually did a do-it-yourself divorce. And before I explain what that was, I just want to give you a little context. I got married to someone who proposed before we were ready to get married. And I was too naive to say to him, wait a minute, we haven't worked out all of our issues. And I made this naive assumption that if he was proposing, that he was committed to working them out. And I figured we would do that over the course of our marriage. But he wasn't all that committed to working them out. And we tried in fits and starts. And it wasn't a surprise to me that after three years of marriage that we got divorced, the timing of it happening on that particular day was surprising. But the fact that it happened was not all that surprising. In fact, about halfway through the marriage, we separated. Um, I don't mean legally, but just started to live separately for um, maybe about six months. And I made it a condition of moving back in that we fill out the do-it-yourself divorce paperwork. I had learned about this 
And I felt that I did want to continue trying to make this work. I believed really strongly that, you know, marriage is for life. And he was the one who really had most of the issues and kept backing away, not me. But I didn't want to have to keep going through the tumultuous conversations we were having. And we'd never gotten as far in our relationship in, in, in our split as we had been when we were living apart. And I didn't want to ever have to go through that part of it again. So I decided that if we filled out this paperwork and put it in a drawer, that I could move back in. And then if we never needed it again, fine. But if we decided it wasn't working out, I could very easily take it out of the drawer and file it and it would be done. And we wouldn't have to go through the painful conversations about the divorce another time. So I did some research and downloaded some forms and uh, there's a website called www.nycourts.gov and they have something called the DIY Uncontested Divorce Program. I assume that stands for do-it-yourself. And you're eligible for this if you meet three criteria. Number one is you have an uncontested divorce, meaning you agree on how to split your assets and your debt. Uh, Number two, if you have no children under the age of 21, which we didn't. And number three, if your marriage had been considered over for at least six months and Mm -hmm. you weren't able to reconcile. Um, So I decided we met that criteria. Um, There's about 30 different forms that you have to fill out. Um, we, there's a a one-time filing fee for an index number of $210 and then about $335 collectively of court and filing fees. And that's it. You do it without a lawyer. If you have a lawyer, you can't follow this process. This is something that you do if you're representing yourself. And if there's no need for a lawyer, because you agree with everything, um, along with your husband or soon to be ex-husband. And the only other fees are, you know, miscellaneous fees for photocopying, notarizing process server, et cetera. So... I filled all of that out. We we agreed on how we were going to split things up, which for me was very advantageous because um, it basically meant he was going to move out and I was going to retain, you know, the apartment and everything in it. And we were renting, so it wasn't that we had any large assets we had to split. Um, but we filled the paperwork out. We came to that agreement, and uh, and then stuck it in a drawer. And I moved back in, and we kept trying for about a year and a half. And then at at a point where I felt that the relationship was actually getting better and better, um, and, and it, you know, we started seeing a couples counselor, which took me several years to get him to do, but it started helping, and we actually started trying to have a family, and I was very excited about that because I had always wanted kids. And about um, about one month after that, he picked a fight in a cab on the way to Penn Station, and literally was like, okay, that's it, we're having a divorce. I mean, it, it was very sudden. Um, it was kind of bizarre because he, he basically opened the door to the cab at a red light and I hopped out and followed him. And we walked back to the apartment because it wasn't, we weren't very far away. And, uh, and he got there first and he locked the door uh, with the inside lock, which I didn't have a key to. And I had to go out to Long Island anyway because it was a very special occasion in my family and I couldn't not go. Um, so I said, okay, just open the door so I can leave your stuff here and I'm going to go. And so I did that. And when I got to Long Island, um, by the time I took the train out there, he had sent an email to both of our sets of parents, two different emails, CCing me, but telling them that we were getting divorced and explaining why. And Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> telling was, your parents. Yep. A your me, parents. An email so, to my parents with me CC'd and an email to his parents with him CC'd. Well, so nice of him to CC you. That's good. <laughs> That's good. At least you were CC'd, right? So, of course, 
my first reaction was shock. You got broken up over email. Well, are you kidding me? It wasn't really a breakup because he did say, you know, this is it. We're getting divorced. And it's not like he hadn't said that a thousand times before. I think the reason he did that was to make it happen because he knew that if I came back after this special occasion, I would have talked him out of it and we would have continued trying. And I think he reached this point where he just felt that it was less traumatic to get divorced than to continue trying, partly because it was going to uh, require him to come to terms with some of his own personal issues that had to do with his mother that I think he just didn't want to have to deal with. And Mm -hmm. it was like less scary to get divorced than to delve into his own psyche. And I think the idea that we were starting to have kids just sort of suddenly pushed this for him, like, oh, wow, if we actually do get pregnant, then I'm going to have a connection to this person for the rest of my life. And so I'm just going to cut bait and run. So I remember this very clearly because it was the 10th anniversary of 9-11 that weekend. And the whole country, and specifically in New York, like everybody was sad. Everybody was sad. And I was like double sad. And I went to the beach all day long, both days, and just stayed by myself. It was very overcast. And I just sat there and thought and thought and thought. And I thought, you know, I could try forever to continue to improve the relationship because I still see a lot of good. We're still in love with each other. Love was never the issue. But I just I concluded that I didn't want to have to continue to convince my husband to try to save the relationship. That if he wanted to save it, I would put in as much time as needed, but I didn't want to have to convince him to. So it was a very surreal day. I remember very clearly it was Wednesday and I was sitting on my couch and I was trying to figure out what was different about the do-it-yourself divorce. And I had to go get an index number and you have to get an index number from the county that you were married in, which was Suffolk County, which required a train ride out to Eastern Long Island. And I had to do that before the court closed, which was at 4.30. So I had to be on a train at 1.30. But I, at the same time, I had been getting involved in a program um, to do some volunteer work in Sri Lanka Uh, for the month of December, which had been an ongoing thing I'd been working on all year. And it just happened that that day they needed to know if I was going to stay on and do any kind of um, tourism after the program because they were purchasing the airline tickets. And I really wanted to, but I hadn't thought about it. And so I I was sitting there with two windows open in my browser and one was about do-it-yourself divorce and the other one was about exotic travel in Southeast Asia and I was going back and forth between the two and I was thinking, this isn't real, this isn't really happening. But by one o'clock, by one thirty, I had to give them a travel date for the, to buy the ticket, and I had to get on that train, and I did. And, uh, and so, so you you said yes to the travel. Yes, I said to, yes to the travel. I decided yeah. to take three or four days in the Maldives um, and do some scuba diving, and then do go back to Sri Lanka and do a whole week of tourism in an area of the country that was different than where the volunteer work was taking place. And then I got on the train and went out and got the index number. Um, and then I, you know, came back and and in this process, there's a there's a do-it-yourself guidebook. It's it's very lengthy, and so um, it it's walks you through how to fill out each form and gives you examples of what it should be like. And and the guidebook is that um, on the uscourts.gov website, New or is this something that okay? So yeah. you mm-hmm. so you again got this on the newyorkcourts.gov website where yep. it has that. There's several pages around the DIY uncontested divorce program. Right. So they give you the guidebook and they give you the empty, the blank form. So I printed both out and I was working through the paperwork and you have to, I had one of my employees was a notary, which was really convenient because you have to serve 
papers to the person. You have to tell them in person that you're getting divorced. And then at a different point in time, you have to notarize signatures. And so since she was somebody that he liked as well, it was probably a little less traumatic for him. Um, and it was certainly convenient for me to have her handle all of that rather yeah. than have strangers do that. So, you know, we agreed on when she would show up at his office. So it wasn't a surprise. Um, and it really facilitated this process being done very quickly. But by the end of that week, I went out again on Friday uh, out to Eastern Long Island and filed the paperwork. So really, the do-it-yourself divorce took one week. One week. Now, it did take longer for the judge to actually stamp the paperwork, and that didn't come through until, it, I remember it came in the mail the first week in January, and I was upset because I wanted it to finish by the end of the year. I wanted it to be like done by the end of the year and start the new year fresh, and it didn't come till the first week in January. But for all intents and purposes, a do-it-yourself divorce took one week and cost maybe about $600. Lara, this is amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, it's amazing. Now, first off, I want to hear from you who you think this would be appropriate for and who you think this is just not the right thing and mm -hmm. because you you also I know you you're a detail oriented any form you can master I mean it, yes it will take time but you are able to run an unbelievably successful business you're able to to deal with a lot of things and it sounds like you are also able to somewhat put your emotions aside to be able to really concentrate on doing all these different forms. Yes. So who who do you think would be capable like you to to really do it on their own? So I want to address the idea of the emotions in a second in a separate part of the answer, but um to to get back to the the forms and whatnot it, it, it actually, it, it was, the most important thing was making sure that everything was filled out properly because if something wasn't filled out properly, they were just gonna kick it back. Um, but as long as you had the patience to look at the examples and make sure you were filling everything out the right way. And there were a couple places I had questions. And so when I went to get the um, index number, I brought the forms with me and I asked and they were very happy to help. And there was a phone number that you could also call. I just decided to ask in person. Um, but I also ended up filling out all the paperwork for my um, new husband, who I met at that trip in Sri Lanka, um, to become uh, to get a green card. And I filled out all of that paperwork by myself. And the do-it-yourself divorce was like ten times easier than the green card. So it wasn't nearly as complex as it could have been. It it, it was rather simple to follow as long as you followed the forms. I also um, had one of my employees went through a divorce only about six months after I did. And he used this process. I told him about it and he was able to fill it out without any issues either. So uh, it really is accessible and and easy enough to do as long as you can focus on doing it. So to go back to the emotional part of it, I think one of the reasons I was able to just focus on the tasks and move through it was that I had done a lot of grieving for my marriage already when we separated. I spent a lot of time in tears then and throughout the course of the marriage trying to wish it better, trying to work on making it better, trying to pray it better. I mean, all, I tried everything I could. Therapy it better. Therapy, yeah, everything. Yeah. I mean, I, try, I really tried every single thing I could think of. And part of the reason that I did that and really went the extra mile to try every single step 
was that I had this sense in the back of my mind that it might not work. And I knew that if I tried every single option before we get to that point, that I could walk away cleanly and without looking back and feeling regret. Yeah. And I knew yeah. I needed to do that. Knowing you did everything humanly in your power. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, and, and even when he kind of looked at me crazy, like, well, why do you want to try this? And I, I just... I just did. I needed to try everything. And that's a major reason why I was able to make that decision when I was sitting on the beach for those two days all by myself and just mentally disconnect from it and be like, okay, I am done. That's done. And that's not ever the choice that I wanted for myself. Nobody ever wants to be a divorced person. Um, I saw a lot of negatives. I saw a few positives. I would have rather it hadn't happened at that point in time, although certainly in retrospect now, five years later, um, well, six years later and five years into a very happy marriage, I'm glad that it happened. But at the time, you never feel, you know, glad that it happened. But I, I, it really, it was, I was so clear about the fact that that was the only recourse left that I was able to do it. So I guess to answer your question, if you are still not sure that this is what you want to do, um, I mean, it, it, it's, I advise a lot to, to, to check out other options that involve mediation or counseling or other people to help you talk it through. Um, yeah. This is a very cut and dry option. And that if, you, if you're convinced that this is what you need to do, it's a good option. But if you're not sure, um, it might be better to, to work with a, a human being who can help talk you through what it really means to be divorced. Because yeah. I didn't really understand until afterwards I mean, even in my marriage, which was only three years and didn't have kids, um, exactly how painful a choice divorce is and how traumatic it is. Even when I describe this and say, oh, yeah, it was done in a week, it was still a really traumatic life event. And I, you always hear that, but you don't know it until you're, it's happening to you. And so I really... I really do advocate every option before you get there. But if you've examined all of that and decided that this is the course you need to take, mm -hmm. then this is a really um, inexpensive way to do it. Um, and it can be relatively drama free as long as you and your spouse agree on everything ahead of time. And I think that's something also of this is really for the couple that can agree on things. Yes. Really, yes. important. if you're going to fight about it and you can't agree about it, you can't take this option because yeah. both of you have to sign a piece of paper. And it's basically a word document where you list out, you know, who gets what and who's responsible for what. And you both sign it. But if you can't both sign that document, you can't pursue this option. Yeah. And the other thing I think that is really important, obviously, you didn't have kids. Right. And, and this isn't even an option right. for for your, someone to look at with kids. Um for for doing that there is something on the website that says if you have kids you can click here but i wasn't sure if that's a diy option or if it's just yeah i i, I, don't, I didn't look into that because it didn't apply to me yeah and and i would say for the listeners today if you have kids you, you should not be doing the do it yourself I, I i don't think so right there and the other piece is that if there there are significant assets and for the both of you, um, you talked about there were some assets. There were the furniture in the small assets, nothing but exactly was very small that you weren't yeah. looking at, and you hadn't been married ten years, and right. one of you didn't give up your career. You both were, right. you know, working. Yep. There were a lot of things where it made this process right for you. Yeah, it made but sense. But that we would say to other people, you know, there are some other things that if you have kids, if there are 
loss of assets if one of you, you know, if you don't earn the same amount, if you're in one person staying home, another person working, or one person making 500,000, the other one making 50,000, that, that these are all things that make you realize, okay, you might need to get even legal counsel and yeah. um, just to kind of look over things, make sure that you're all set. And of course, it isn't going to work unless you have a, a reasonable person on the other side, which unfortunately, in a lot of cases, one person might be reasonable, um, the other may not. Sometimes you have two unreasonable people, and my God, then you're really in a in a tough uh, a tough situation. I don't think that my ex-husband was all that reasonable, but I think he was guilty. I think he felt badly because I think he shouldered the responsibility of saying, I don't want to try anymore. And I think that just inspired him to say, I'm just going to walk away and leave the apartment and everything in it to you. Now, yeah, well, he, he also should feel guilty about the emails. I don't know if he does, but <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there too. No, I don't think he does. And there are plenty of other things that I can think of in terms of like what I would call psychological damage that he should feel guilty about that he doesn't, because of course he's going to say that I had yeah. psychological damage back. That's just the way marriages work. Um, but uh, in this case, um, we were both small business owners. Um, we did have a joint bank account, but we had separate bank accounts also, and the joint account didn't have very much in it. Um, it was really cut and dry to figure out, okay, we had these small credit card debts, and this is how we're going to take care of them. And, you know, he he really just took his personal possessions and left everything else. Um, and it did put me in some hardship initially because I couldn't afford the rent on my own. And um, thankfully, Airbnb was brand new at that point and didn't yet have those laws um, that they have now about not being able to share the apartment and this and that. But for a while, I um, I moved onto my own couch and because it's a one bedroom. And I had Airbnb people in the bedroom and I slept on the couch and then spent like Monday through Thursday night and then spent weekends um, at a friend's or at my parents or whatnot. And that was how I got through it initially until I could rearrange my own finances and afford the apartment on my own. Um, without that, I wouldn't have been able to. And that would have been traumatic for me yeah, um, yeah. because, you know, the divorce, uh, divorcing and moving are like two of those top things that are traumatic and they do like both the of top, them at the same time three, you know, is, is awful. So the fact that I didn't have to move and nothing about my surroundings changed um, was I think healing, you know, I didn't have to like walk into a room that used to have certain furniture and doesn't and, and then be reminded of what happened. Like none of that changed. And I think that helped me get through it as well. And one of the things that I ended up forcing myself to do, and partly it was because I had this stranger who was, you know, in my house, but I also knew that the worst thing in the world would be to just sit at home and mope, which was what I wanted to do. That's what everybody wants to do. Yeah. Um, I forced myself. I, I very specifically and strictly said every single night, I'm going to see a different friend and I'm going to tell my tale of woe over a different glass of wine. And every weekend, I'm going to stay with somebody at their house uh, or two different people at their houses. And I did this for almost three months straight. And... I found, I had this idea that it would work this way, and it actually did, that after maybe the 25th time that I went through the whole story, I had gotten tired of telling my own story. Like, first, you just really need to tell it, you really exactly. need to share, and then you want to hear what everybody says, because you really need to hear their advice and see if you miss something and get their perspective. But after doing this over and over and over, literally every single night, 
and synthesizing all the things people said, I realized that I'd explored all the angles, that there was nothing new to learn. And I didn't feel like I, it used to take me two hours when someone said, why did you get divorced? And I was able to boil it down to like a few sentences because I realized that all that other stuff was just my personal need to share. And then that diminished with each time that I went through it. And when I got to the point that I was sick of my own story, I was like, okay. And I, I had told myself that I was going to have three months to grieve and to wallow because I had the Sri Lanka trip coming up. So I was going to spend those so three you months. you gave yourself a time yep. frame. And then while I was in Sri Lanka, I was doing some volunteer work for kids who'd been traumatized by the civil war that had been taking place for the past 30 years. And I knew that was going to be really um, all encompassing. So that yeah. was going to be focusing on the moment and not anywhere in my normal life, somewhere else. So I was just going to only focus on what I was doing. And then when I got back, I wanted to focus on the future. And I actually already lined up two blind dates for early January when I got back. But I met my husband on this trip, and so that <laughs> that, that blew that. But And it was one of those so classic... you met your husband <coughs> three months later. Yeah, it was one of you're those... you're now married to. Who I'm now married to. It's one of those classic things that you, you you find love when you're not looking for it, because that exactly. was not what I was you looking not, for yeah, at that's all. The last thing you were the thinking about. The last thing I was thinking about. Not only for that reason, like because that's not why I went to Sri Lanka and because I wasn't ready for it, but because he was... Sri Lankan, like what the hell? I'm American and he lives, you know, half a world away. And because he was in the beginning stages of an arranged marriage, like he wasn't even somebody I was supposed to be considering. <laughs> but I met someone who is the most like me of anybody that I've ever met who's male. And he grew up in completely different circumstances. But we, ha we had, if you think about, if you're not a believer in fate, think about the fact that I went from being divorced very suddenly to three months later, just three months later, meeting somebody who we were together in this program. And so, you know, you get to you get the measure of somebody when you see them in a different kind of a situation like that. He was the local yes. person who was shepherding the eight Americans around the north and it was under military control and there were lots of obstacles and he was taking care of everything and handling everything in a way that I really admired. And I, you get to see who the people really are in those situations. And I recognized how similar we were. And when I finally shared that with him, which took me a while because I was initially kind of nursing my wounds and not really talking very much to anyone on that trip, um, it just... It, it was an amazing connection and we decided we had we had we basically decided within 48 hours that we were going to get married because there's no such thing as dating when you're you know in that situation like either yeah. we were going to have a fling or we were going to get married but there was no in between especially because he was in the beginning stages of an arranged marriage so we made a decision and pursued it and in Sri Lanka arranged marriages are very common um, and it's not like in India where, you know, your parents say like mm -hmm. at birth, you're supposed yes, to be with such yes. and such a person. But in Sri Lanka, you have websites that are arranged marriage websites, the way we have dating websites, where you can go and find someone that looks attractive to you and you meet. Or it could be a friend or family member suggesting you meet. And if you don't like each other, you don't have to go through with it. But if you do, then you go through these prescribed steps and in a very short order, you're married. But it's really a conscious choice. And I really initially was really curious about that because after trying to find the right person and obviously failing most spectacularly with my divorce, I came to doubt my ability to pick the right person. And this idea that someone else who like knew more than you and wasn't wrapped up in the emotions of it, who could make a logical decision, who knew both parties, could, could be better at choosing a match than you could yourself was really appealing to me. 
And it wasn't until years later that I actually realized that although in the moment I wasn't thinking about choosing to marry Michael as an arranged marriage, I realized that it was kind of following that template because it was more of a logical choice based on what you knew of a person in a, in a short period of time and what you admired about them. And certainly there was an attraction. I mean, we yeah. wouldn't have done that without an attraction, but the love just came rushing in so strong and it really was a conscious choice more than falling in love and then following your heart. And that's, you know, Sri Lanka is one of the lowest divorce rates of any country. So maybe there's something to that. But if you, you don't believe in fate yeah, after that story, yeah, you know, if I had amazing. been there one month earlier, after two months in the process of grieving, I wouldn't have been open to it. I so know that. And I, if I, I had been there one month yeah. later, he would have been married. So that window of time to meet someone halfway around the world, that's fate. So Larry, there's also something really special that you're such a phenomenal woman that you, you probably don't realize this, but you were able to, to give yourself the support during that, those, those three worst months, being able to get through the worst of it in those three months so that you were open to love, a healthy love, right? Not only open to love, but being able to have a healthy love, a healthy relationship. There are women, um, you know, no fault of their own, but years later, that still are are grieving, still not able to get up off the couch, mm-hmm. um, still living their life in yesterday, and the should have, could have, what went on. What would you recommend to them? And you've shared such an amazing story of how you've gotten through that. But I, I do have to say, though, you are one of the most strong willed people in a positive way and I only say this because it's me too like we're like I I feel like you and I are so similar of the get up and go and keep on doing it Um, what would you recommend is it making sure you are getting out to meet friends and not just the same friend that you tell your story over and over again because that friend will not be your friend long term if you continue that, <laughs> right. that you make sure you're seeing lots of people, um, that you see a therapist, that you, you know, what, because your, your story is remarkable in many ways, but this is really one that you may not think about um, that is, I think, the most remarkable of how you are able to open yourself up so quickly. I think you have to be very, very sure that you've done everything you can do because I think people who are wallowing and living in the past and living in the would have, could have, should haves are regretting things. And so you have to try everything. To have known you've done everything yeah, that, you possibly can. That there can. wasn't anything else you could have done that you regret not doing. Yeah. And, and that was very, very much a part of it for me. And and again, this wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have separated halfway through. I would have had to go through that period of time, which was many months of angst and grieving and whatnot. Um, it, 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 it was a terrible thing to go through, but it wasn't quite as terrible as an actual divorce because we hadn't divorced, we were just separated. Um, and so if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have been able to process everything so quickly. But I already had gone through all of that. I'd already brought myself to the brink and had to visualize, you know, handing those papers and filling those papers out at that point in time, even though we hadn't decided to get divorced. And the fact that it was my choice to do it, 
And this is when you separated and said, when we're we filling out these papers, yep. we may not use them, but I'm putting them in the drawer. Yep. And yeah. filling them out really brought me to the very brink of what it was going to feel like to mail them in or hand them in. Yeah. And and I, I had to go through all of that in order to then come back to the marriage and and try because I didn't want to go through so much hurt again a second time. And I think it was that sort of pre-mental preparation during the separation that also helped fortify me when it got to the point where it was like, okay, we have to hand the papers. And in fact, I was annoyed I had to fill them out a second time. <laughs> I just wanted to take them out of the drawer them. and hand them in. Yeah. So yeah. I, but I, I, so I think that I think women really need to, so a lot of women aren't sure of themselves and second guess things, myself included. And, you know, I just was very, like, like many of us are open to like, you know, what can help. So, you know, people would say, read this book, uh, see this therapist, try this technique, try that technique. And I tried them all. I tried them all. And you have to try everything that you can think of. Because when you get to that point where he's not going to try anything anymore, you need to know that you tried everything. And then you can walk away without the regrets. I mean, you might regret something you said or something you did that contributed, but in any marriage, it's never one person's fault. It's yeah. always a dance that two people do. So you can't really look at something in particular that you said or did in isolation. It's always yeah. part of a tapestry. Um, as long as you can keep that in mind and then realize that you, your heart was pure and your intentions were pure in trying to make it work because you really put everything on the line and tried with every ounce of your being and it still didn't work then you know that it wasn't you. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like I ended my marriage. I feel like he ended my marriage. And I, at one point, acquiesced. Yeah. And that that helped me walk away. And then to your other point, yeah, I think it's very important to talk about it. If you don't talk about it, you just keep reliving it and you just keep dwelling. And it really and was. that same tape over yeah, and over again. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and a therapist is key, absolutely. But it's also talking to people. And the more different people you talk to, the more times you have to go through all the details and you really, really will eventually get sick and tired of all the details. And that's when you start to heal because you realize the details aren't important at all. They feel that way initially. It feels like you have to share every detail of what happened with everybody because it's so important and no one will really understand until you do share every detail. But the more you go through it, and again, this is like two to three months of going through it, like just really over and over with different people. But you will reach a point where it starts to feel like just words and not so important. And that's when you can start to move on. The other thing I want to ask you about, a lot of women feel this way after a divorce, not having trust in themselves mm. to be able to recognize a good relationship, a good a good partner yeah and you you shared that you had lost some of that confidence in yourself too mm -hmm. what was it about Michael that when you saw him that made you realize this this is my partner this is my other half so again, it was a very unique circumstance that most women aren't going to be in. You know, most people meet people in their normal life and they, they, that person... They aren't being stretched. Right that, right. that person is just, you know, someone you meet in the course of your day and your yeah. whole life it doesn't revolve around them. They're just incidental and then slowly they become more important um, over time. 
But this was a circumstance where uh, I was with, you know, nine other human beings for three weeks in a in a in a venture that was uh, dicey and difficult. And Michael was balancing the needs of um, the kids uh, that we were working with. We work with 200 kids over three different schools, um, the administration of those schools, the teachers of those schools, the Americans, the driver and porter on the bus and his back office who was trying to dictate you know what we were doing and he was doing it with grace and charm and having been a business owner for all these years i know what it takes to manage the needs that are of all these different constituents that are competing with each other and to keep a smile on your face and make sure everybody's happy it says so much about someone's character exactly i could just recognize and it's watching him do it day after day for weeks i'm like that's who he really is and then watching him with the kids he was Mm. so um, good at, at sharing. Part of the reason they chose him was he'd, he'd done a lot of volunteer work in his own free time uh, with these kids, with child prostitutes, with child soldiers, with um, kids who'd been traumatized in, in various aspects of this war. And he'd shared all of that with us. So I already knew that he had this wonderful heart and ability to want to make a desire to make a difference and ability to do so. Um, you know, someone who actually put his time into it, not just talked about it. Um, he would use all his vacation time to go on these independent trips and work with these kids. And so he was sharing all of those experiences and then watching him with the kids, showing us by example, how to get them to open up when they had been shell-shocked by this war and were not used to play because of their culture. And were not used to, you know, adults being silly because of their culture. And like, mm-hmm. how do you connect with kids when there's a language? barrier and it was it was easy to see how to do that when he was showing the way so it was partly how he was with kids and of course as I've said before I really wanted a family it was partly watching how he just managed all of us on this partly understanding that who he was as a person was that he wanted to help these these kids and and that was important to him and just you know he was very talkative gregarious person so as we traveled around in this bus he would spend hours just talking and so we learned a lot about him and I learned that we're very similar and he didn't know that at first because I was sitting in literally the back seat of the bus looking out the window and you still mentioned you were nursing my reserved, wounds right? yeah I wasn't yeah. really participating in the conversation but I was listening and then like a week into it I got this feeling like wait a minute I'm aware of where he is all the time wait a minute, that's that feeling you have when you have a crush on somebody. Wait a minute, I can't have a crush on this person and for all these reasons. And then I just had to come to terms with the fact that I did. And I sat with that for a couple of days and then we ended up having an opportunity to have a lengthy one-on-one conversation for the first time in the trip. And I started out by asking him about the arranged marriage and he got really defensive. And then I was like, wait, wait, I'm not being critical, I'm being curious. And I told him that I had just gotten divorced and that I'd lost my faith in the ability to choose the right person. And here I was, I just turned 40 and how could I not have figured this out already? And and it opened the door to a conversation that ended up really solidifying for both of us that that we were a really good match, which, you know, later on, I ended up canceling my tourism that I planned so that we could um, really solidify that. So after the, the volunteer work was done, we just spent the next week and a half together talking all day long for a week and a half and just confirming our feelings and confirming what we knew and getting more you know, logistical about things, you know, where we would live and how it would be. How, how do we that. fit together yes, and how does exactly. this work? And In a very practical way, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lara, I have to say, you can see I'm smiling ear to ear. <laughs> and I, I imagine every single person listening on 
this podcast today is is smiling too and I, I I just can't thank you enough you bring such insight you bring such hope you bring such um, I don't even have the words I've really I, and this is hard I'm not speechless <laughs> trust me my my children are like mom stop you know um, but you really you really should be so so proud of yourself and I'm just so happy that you found your your happily ever after because you so you so deserve it. Thank you. Thank you very much. When I came back from Sri Lanka and I told everybody I'd found my next husband, you can imagine that all they thought were green card and rebound. But I knew, I just knew really deep inside myself that that was not the case. And that once he came here and they meet him, that everybody in my life would understand, which they did. And it's five years. It is five years. And I, it's still, it feels like yesterday in some respects. And then it feels like we've been married forever in other respects. So I advise everybody who is sitting on the couch and wallowing to go book yourself some kind of volunteer trip. And I'm not saying it's because you're going to find a husband there, but you're definitely going to break your patterns and you're definitely going to get new perspective and you're definitely going to um, heal in in some ways large and small and you do it's you never know who you might meet because the people who go on those kinds of trips are generally the kind of people you want to end up with anyway exactly even if they're not from the other country they could be from the US but they might go on that trip so I really I think travel is one of the best things you can do when you find yourself in a rut Um, travel of any type tourism travel but especially volunteer-based travel yeah and I know taking care of others feeds your soul mm-hmm. it mends your soul too yeah and stretches your soul yeah. so Lara I can't thank you enough for for being here today and sharing with uh, all of our listeners your story your insights your wisdom and I also want to thank all of our listeners uh, here at Financially Ever After. Um, please visit the website. We have this podcast, as well as many others. We'll also have notes along the way about the podcast so that you can go to certain sections. We'll make sure that we have the website address for um, the NewYorkCourts.gov and all of the other resources that you might need. We're even going to put a few up there for some international travel volunteer experiences (laughs) so that you can take a look at what's out there and what might fit for you and your life. Um, And also, please uh, do visit the Francis Financial website. Uh, We are there for you, essentially being uh, being a partner. Um, One of the biggest pieces of this is the fear of, am I going to be okay financially? And I know, Larry, you went through the you know, how do I make this work? And uh, we can help individuals also understand um, how is that going to look for you to make sure that you're going to be okay. So thank you again for tuning in and we'll be seeing you in two more weeks. <laughs>